Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. I want to start off and ask you this question. When I say those people, does anybody come to mind? Man, those people, they're the worst. And they're everywhere. And when I say those people, you have somebody who comes to mind, some group that comes to mind. And a lot of them are crazy, so don't point them out. Those people can be challenging. And they come in all sizes and shapes. I'll give you some examples. For you, those people might be those who are often critical controlling. Some of those people are incredibly arrogant at times. Some of those people can be incredibly mean. Those people, some of them, they know everything about everything, and they make sure you know that. Those people are quite loud on social media. They spread rumors at the office. There's always one of those people at the big family gathering, right? You show up at the family gathering, and it's almost like a spiritual principle. Bring all the relatives together all at once, and there will be one of those people who are there, you know, the Cousin Eddie, if you will, so to speak. There's one in every family, and you're like, no, there's not. Well, then it's probably you. (laughs) Those people are everywhere. Do you know who those people are? You might have some names. You might have a list. Speaking of a list, I thought I'd share with you mine. (laughs) Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about dealing with those people in a way that honors them and also shows the love of God to those people. I want to talk about a way that shows the love of God really to anybody and everybody. You and I do not have to live offended by those people. You see, as followers of Jesus, we all know we're called to love everybody, which includes, say it with me, those people. And I get it. Most of those people are difficult to love. And so, if, or I should say when, you are frustrated When you are angry, when you are offended by those people, I want to encourage you to really dive in and focus on and apply what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. So right now, if you could, everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a physical Bible, you can go to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a physical Bible, join us on the YouVersion Bible app. On the screen, there's actually a QR code. That'll get you there quicker. If you just use that, otherwise you got to go to the app, you got to go to this spot and then events and live, and it takes you a while. This will be the fastest way to get to our notes uh, so you can see those. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 26. It tells us this. It says, in your anger, do not what? Do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Jump down to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit, everybody say benefit, that it may benefit those who listen. Jump to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So powerful to help you and I when we think about those people and being offended. First, I want us to notice what the Word of God tells us here. It kicks off and says, in your anger, do not sin, which implies the fact that it must not be a sin to be angry, which is actually really good news for you and I because we all get angry. All of us do. And chances are, if you go anywhere and interact with people today, you're here. If you go online and interact with people today, if you open up a news app and read the news and the stories of the day, if you watch the news today, somehow, somewhere, you will be offended today. And it's best if you and I can remind ourselves over and over and over and over again that there is simply no win. There is no victory for us in being offended. There's no victory in playing the victim. My life, and maybe this is true of you as well, but my life is far more full of joy when I'm not ticked off about what somebody said to me. My marriage doesn't get better when I live angry at some injustice in the world. I'm not getting closer to God if I'm walking around with ongoing unforgiveness towards someone who's hurt me in my life. And so, let's remind ourselves, there is no win in living offended. There's no victory for us in living offended. Even though I know that likely I'm going to be offended today, this week. And whether that's by people, cultural issues, whatever the case may be, nobody or no topic should have that much power and control over our life to cause us to live offended. Victimhood offendedness never, ever makes our life better. So what do we do? We start by telling ourselves that being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice we make. Being offended, it's going to happen, guaranteed. But living offended is a choice we are choosing to make. You'll be offended, likely even today, most likely in the next 20 to 25 minutes. It's going to happen. But you can still choose how to respond to an offense. You and I, we don't have to live offended. We can live unoffendable or unoffended in an offensive world. And so maybe that's why the Apostle Paul tells you and I, we got to be really careful You and I have to be careful because if we hold on to anger, if we nurture an an offense, if we are rehearsing a hurt, then what we're actually doing, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, we're actually giving, he says, the devil, Satan, the father of lies, we're giving him what Scripture calls a foothold. Everybody say foothold. We're giving the devil a foothold in our life. 
That word foothold, it's the Greek word topos. It's found throughout the Bible. It simply means place or room. Let me give you some real uh, easy one just to give you some examples. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning while, Jesus was, uh, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Everybody say place. Went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. You're probably familiar with this verse. It tells us that Mary gave birth to a son, laid him in a manger because there was no what? There was no room in the end. Topos, a place, room. In other words, when you and I live offended, when you and I live in anger and hold on to that, we're giving the devil a place in our hearts. We're giving him room in our life to work. Why would you ever want to do that? Why would you or I ever want to give devil access to anything that matters most to us? I don't want my anger. I don't want my being offended from some person or some topic or some issue with something that's wrong in my life or around me or in the world. I don't want to have that give the devil access to attack anything that's close to me. I don't want to give the devil access to my marriage, to Heather. I don't want to give the devil the ability to ta- attack my children and come into their lives and maybe even try to divide us. I don't want to give the enemy the ability to attack my friends, the people that I'm doing life with and sharing life with, and I certainly don't want to give the devil access to this amazing church family that we have. Why would I want to do that and why would you? Because if we live in anger and in bitterness, if we li- live easily offended, Scripture says, I'm giving, you're giving our, our spiritual enemy, we're giving him access. We're giving him space. We're giving him room. We're giving him a place in our life, a room in our life. Why would I want to do it? Why would you want to do that? He's just going to use that opening to wreak havoc upon our life. In fact, when you and I give our enemy access to our life, when we give him a room, when we give him a place in our heart, when we give him a place in our life, he wreaks havoc by unleashing his three D's of destruction. He divides, he distracts, and he discredits. First of all, our enemy is going to use our offense and being angry and living offended. He's going to use that to divide family, friends, and even churches. He's going to use whatever he can, whatever's at, at his disposal. He'll use our culture and all that takes place in our culture to get us divided. He'll take advantage of what's happening in the culture, whether it's racial divisions, whether it's politics, whether it's the whole gender topic that has kind of roared to front and center in the national conversation. He'll use sports. He'll use COVID. That was a division boom for our enemy. He uses it all. He doesn't care about any of that, by the way. He uses that to get people offended and hurt and angry and upset, and he uses that so that he can destroy friendships, divide families, ruin marriages, split churches. He uses whatever it takes to divide. Because the reality is this, and I think you know this, when, Christ, when Christians come together and are united in thought and purpose and in love, man, we're unstoppable. You've seen that throughout the last 2,000 years. You've seen glimpses when the church is united. It's powerful. But when we're divided, we're weak, and we're ineffective. 
when you and I give the devil a place, a room, a foothold in our life, he uses it to divide us. So I want to ask you, is there any type of division that's in your life right now? Is there any type of division relationally with friends, family members, maybe people in your life group, maybe with other church members, maybe with a coworker, maybe with a boss or an employee? Is there some type of division that you're experiencing right now? Because if there is, it's likely that you felt slighted, that you felt offended. And so you're harboring, you're carrying a hurt, an anger, a bitterness, a frustration. You can call it whatever you want. You can even deny it. Oh, everything's all fine. Everything's good. The devil wants to use that to bring division, to destroy you, and to destroy others around you. The second way our enemy uses our anger and our being offended is to distract us from our mission. If you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you're familiar with Matthew chapter 28, and it tells us what our mission is. It's very clear. Jesus told you and I to go and make what? Go and make disciples. Very simple. That's our number one priority according to Jesus. So how does our enemy get us distracted from our mission? Simple. He wants to get us to start arguing. Because once he start, we start arguing, he knows where that can lead. So he wants us to argue about anything and everything. And one of the big distractions and something that our enemy uses, he gets us mad and offended about whatever it is we're arguing about. Whether it's with a person, whether it's something in our culture, he'll use it all because he wants you angry. He wants you offended. And he'll use that to distract you from your mission, which is your primary focus according to Jesus, which is to reach the lost and grow the saved, to make disciples. Our enemy, he uses our anger and being offended to distract us from our highest priority of making disciples. But third, he's going to use our anger. He's going to use us being offended to then discredit our witness. These build on each other, but they're also independent. He's gonna dis- he wants us to discredit our witness. This is an easy one for the devil. Man, it's easy for him because he gets us to focus on all the things that we're against rather than us to focus on what we're for. I want you to hear that again. He wants you to spend more time focused on what you're against rather than focus on what you're for. Because he knows if he can get you focused on what you're against, then you're going to get wrapped up in being, in, in, in being angry and mad and critical and judgmental and self-centered and self-righteous and easily offended and ticked off by people and, and circumstances and events and at everybody in the world. He loves when that happens because when we live that way, we lose our credibility. We weaken our witness. And people want nothing to do with the church or with God because he's used our anger and our offense to discredit our witness. Because we just spend all our time being against something rather than being for something. In fact, I just wonder how is it that so many, quote, Christians, who really ought to be the most kind, compassionate, and loving people on the planet, I just hear too many stories. How is it that Christians are 
oftentimes so mean and so harsh in ways that hurt people. Man, let's not allow ourselves to live angry and offended. That only serves the devil's interest. It doesn't serve God's interest, and it doesn't serve the people who God has called you to reach. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. See, I think that's why the Apostle Paul said to us, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. And he went on and even said, because he wants us to focus on letting our light shine. And then he went on and said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And otherwise, in other words, this implies a very powerful and important principle, which is this. The day of our hurt should also be the day of our healing. The day that we are offended is the day that we release the offense. The same day somebody offends you, makes you angry, is the very same day as a follower of Jesus that you are working towards bringing reconciliation into that circumstance, that situation, that relationship, that friendship. Man, how different the world would be today if on the very same day that Christians were hurt, the very same day that, man, we worked towards healing, Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Why? Because you don't want to give the devil access. You don't want to give him a place. You don't want to give give him a foothold. You don't want to give him room in your life. Because when you do, and when I do, he uses it to divide, to distract and discredit us, to render us unable to do and to be all that God's called us to do and be. Then, Paul says, here's what a follower of Jesus ought to do instead. Here's the path he wants us to take. And he kicks it off by saying in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he says, So don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. Everybody say helpful. helpful. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit. Everybody say benefit. benefit. May benefit those who listen. In other words, no belittling. No bad-mouthing, no criticizing, no gossiping, no name-calling. No, those people are a bunch of idiots. Don't let anything come out of your mouth except, Paul says, what's helpful, what's beneficial for others, that builds them up, that blesses them, that helps them. If you want to be somebody, if you want to be someone who's committed to building others up and keeping your distance from anger and living offended, if you want to make a difference in your relationships that honors and blesses, I would actually encourage you to adopt a few I will never statements into your life. I want to encourage you to jot these down, write them down, take a picture once I put them all up there. Because if you would adopt these into your life, these I will never statements into your life, They'll make sure that your relationships are headed in the right direction, in a beneficial way, rather than an unhealthy way that brings others down. So the first, I'll never, I'll never call names. There's no reason, there's no excuse that you and I would ever dishonor somebody and tear them down by calling them names. By the way, you're like, well, I don't call people names. It includes labels. I don't don't call somebody, I don't call names. Yeah, but we label people. We label those people. 
whoever they are to us. We don't need to call them a name and we don't need to give them a label. Secondly, I'll never raise my voice. Whoa, 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 hot time out, pastor. You don't understand my culture. That's what we do. Well, I would just suggest to you, people aren't changed by yelling. They're changed by you being loving. And in fact, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 says, A gentle tongue or a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Another translation says it's good medicine. So let's be gentle in the way we communicate with others. Third, I'll never get hysterical. Is that what it said? I'm sorry, my bad. What did it say? I'll never get what? You said it. You know what that means? That little book you've been carrying around, the history of the things that you've been wrong and offended by somebody else, means that little book goes away. The little, hey, when you're in an argument, yeah, remember when you did this? Remember this? Remember that? No, 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 no. I will never get historical. Besides, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So I will never get historical. Fourth, and this might sound a little weird just because it's kind of the, the play on words, so to speak, but never say or use the words never or always in a negative sense. I don't know how to get around that one in this man by using the word. Never use the word never or always in a negative sense. You never do this. You always do this. First of all, it's just not true. Okay? Nobody uh, is absolute like that. It's not helpful. So never say never or always. If you're married, here's a fifth one. Never use the D word. Never threaten divorce. Shouldn't even be in your vocabulary as a Jesus follower. You signed a covenant between God and your spouse when you said, I do, and that's an I do for life. For life. In other words, like swans, like sandhill cranes, like bald eagles, like hawksbill sea turtles, like French angelfish, like the other one that I said last service that someone said it sounded like you swear, so I won't say that one. And like many others, shall I go on. Once you're married... You're a mate, so to speak. You're a couple for life. Do not ever threaten divorce. Do not even be sarcastic or joking about it. I hear people do that all the time. Don't even think the word divorce. Don't ever use the word divorce, ever, ever, ever. And in a moment, if you haven't written any of these down, pull out the pen or the camera. You have to get this one. It is the most important one of all of them. Never, never, never. If you want to be someone who doesn't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, never, 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 never quote me in your fights. Don't quote the pastor in your argument. Don't bring me into your bedroom or your family room or wherever you're having the argument. Leave me out of it. (laughs) Chances are you'll misquote me or take me out of context anyway. Well, the pastor said today, did you listen? How's that going to go? Has that ever actually worked? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what's helpful for building up others according to their needs, by the way, not according to your needs, because that's what will benefit them. See, our problem is when you and I get angry, 
when we're offended and live offended, the devil is going to tempt us to justify or defend our anger. But they hurt me, so I'm right and they're wrong. They betrayed me, so I'm right and they're wrong. They insulted me, so I'm right and they're wrong. They attacked me or they attacked my family, so I'm right and they're wrong. We think we have this, quote, righteous anger. I know it's a term we sometimes like to use over our pet peeve or our holy discontent about whatever it is. And we try to equate it with God having some type of righteous anger. And so we think we're justified in having our own righteous anger, even on behalf of God. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need your righteous anger. He has it all taken care of. He doesn't need you to do his part. Yeah, but Jesus turned over to the tables and, and, you know, we get a couple of examples. Yeah, there's a couple. You know how many verses upon verses upon verses upon verses upon verses I could tell you about being gentle and kind and loving and all throughout Scripture? One more thought on this righteous anger metaphor. And I really want you to think about this. Oh, I'm righteously angry over your sin, which, by the way, last week, what did we say? We're always righteously angry over someone else's sin but not our own. I'm righteously angry over your sin. Listen, you don't ever, you're like, you brag about righteous anger. You don't ever brag and say, well, I have a a righteous greed. I have a righteous lust. I have a righteous gluttony. No, no, no. So why try to justify our anger? Why try to justify it as some type of of good and righteous and holy thing? Especially since the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, get rid of some of your bitterness, rage, and anger. Is that what it says? Get rid of how much? Get rid of all your anger. He doesn't say except for your righteous anger. He says, get rid of all of it. Don't hold on to it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But you now must also rid yourself of all such things as these. And he kicks off with anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Get rid of all of it. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor. I'm in a business where i got to swear. That's the only way I'm going to have credibility. Okay, that's fine. But that's not what Scripture says. Because Scripture says, get rid of all filthy language. Get rid of the anger. Don't hold on to it. Don't justify it. It doesn't help. And then Paul says something incredibly profound, at least to me, maybe to you, maybe not. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I want you to notice, as, as Jared puts it up on the screen, Jared, go ahead and put it up early. I want you to notice what this verse doesn't say. He doesn't say be arrogant about your moral superiority. He doesn't say be critical of everybody who thinks differently from you. He doesn't say, be brutal or harsh because you're dealing with those people. What does he say? He tells you and I, be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want you to let that sink in. Because I want us to really think about what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's telling you and I, get rid of all anger and slander and malice and all of that. And instead, he says, I want you to be kind and loving and compassionate and forgiving. And the best place for you and I to do that, by the way, is up close. 
You can't be loving and kind and compassionate from a distance. It's easy to shout truth from a distance. It's easy to be angry from a distance. But you've got to be up close to be loving and kind and compassionate to get into somebody else's world. When was the last time you purposefully, intentionally chose to listen to somebody up close that's incredibly different than you, that is one of those people to you, and you chose to love them, to be kind, to be compassionate. Man, make every effort to love up close. So, you and I, we all know those people. And if you're like me, those people get me riled up. They get me angry. I get offended. But what if we looked in the mirror? What if you pulled out your cell phone, pulled out the camera, and flipped it around and looked at yourself? And you looked in the mirror because what if, and as I think about my own life, what if I'm one of those people? After all, I think I'm right. After all, I'm the dude with the mic who stands up here every week telling you how to live. What if I'm one of those people? What if you're one of those people? Because the reality is, if we really be honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us, if we're being real. And so I want to encourage you to have the courage to pray a dangerous but powerful and humbling prayer. Maybe you pray this prayer every single day for the next month. It's in Psalm chapter 139. And the psalmist says this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you be courageous and bold enough to turn from your anger and offense and worried about all of that and being uptight and all that, being a victim and all that comes with that? And would you be willing to turn to God and say, God, search my heart. God, show me where I'm arrogant. God, show me where I'm judgmental. God, show me where I'm self deceived. God, show me where I'm harboring anger against a group or a person or against an individual or against a label of people. God, show me where I'm carrying an offense. Show me where I'm being, not being kind, where I'm not being compassionate, where I'm not being forgiving. God, help me. God, help me. Pray this and say, God, help me be loving and kind and compassionate. God, help me because I don't want to give the devil a foothold. I don't want to give him a place in my life. I don't want to give him access to my family, to my friends, to my church. God, I don't want to give him any of that because I want to not live with anger. I don't want to live offended. God, I want to live recognizing being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And by the grace and goodness of God, I'm asking you help me to make the choice not to live offended. Just as I've been forgiven, God, I want to forgive others. 
because I know my life doesn't get better when I'm angry. See, what I've noticed in my own life, I've noticed that every single minute that I am angry, I lose 10 minutes of joy. Every single minute I'm angry, I lose 20 minutes of peace. And every single minute I'm angry, I lose days upon days in which I can make a positive influence on the impact on the life of other people. I lose my witness. And that's why I know being offended, it's inevitable, but living offended is a choice. You know what the, the world needs right now more than ever? You know what the city needs right now more than ever? It needs a united church. It needs light in the midst of the darkness. So we're not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, even when we've been offended. Because we're not here to make a point. We're here to make a difference. And we're going to make a difference how? With the love and grace and the goodness of God. We will not live offended. We're going to be kind. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to forgive others just as Christ forgave us. And by the way, if you can do that, you will keep the devil out. You'll keep the spirit in. And that's when we really start to make a difference. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.